Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word. God, we give now this time uh, where we can dive into your word, see what, uh, Father, you have for us. Uh, Lord, we come um, with faith, believing that this is the word of God, that it's so incredibly true. There is no deceit in it. There is no falsehood. It is completely true. And so we can, we can use it to kind of see where our lives are at and where our hearts are at. Lord, I pray we'd be open to the conviction of your spirit. I pray that we would not uh, run away when we feel your spirit uh, approaching us with that gentleness and love, but just saying that maybe we're wrong. And Lord, I pray that we would receive the grace that comes from your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you took the penalty of God's wrath upon the cross for our sin. Jesus, there is no uh, way that we could ever understand how much you hurt when you were on the cross. But we can believe it and receive what is told to us in the word is given to us when we believe, which is salvation and adoption as your children. So, Father, we thank you uh, again for your love. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Last week... We said we've been going verse by verse through Genesis, so uh, they're all, all the studies are online if you need to catch up or you want to see a certain part and see uh, what was going on during that. But we were in chapter 28 last week, and we saw how Jacob had an encounter with the Lord and how he uh, was running away from his brother es- uh, Esau. Uh, it was kind of like um, messing with Sasquatch because uh, Esau was really hairy and Jacob was always messing with him and so he had to run away because Sasquatch was coming after him. And he had tricked his father and brothers, stolen the blessing, and he was now alone, you know, running uh, up 470 miles away because uh, his dad told him, go get a woman, go get a wife from this family, your, your brother, um, your, your mom's brother's family, Laban. We're going to see a lot about him today. But he was on his way. He stopped, and he had a dream. He, he took a rock, he used it as a pillow, and had a dream, and in this dream, he had saw a ladder to heaven, and angels were going up and down on it. And then the Lord made him a promise and said, I'm going to be with you. I love you, Jacob. I'm going to be with you. And then we saw that Jacob woke up from that dream, and he started making all these promises to God. And we saw that that isn't the way to respond to God's promises to you. We don't make promises back to the Lord. We don't make vows to the Lord. We receive his promises. It was really a, a, a neat study. God showed up, and he did meet with him, though. He met God for the first time. This was always Abraham's God, Isaac's God, but now Jacob has met this God who says, I have a plan for you. I have a promise. I'm going to use you. And so Jacob, just to remember who this guy is, his name means deceiver. He's a con man. He's a, a manipulator. He's a trickster. That's how he gets through life is he knows he can't do it, and so he tries to trick people to get the things that he thinks he needs. He's kind of humble because he knows he can't do it, but he, he's a trickster. He's a manipulator still. He uses deceit, and deceit is a very important topic today. That's who Jacob is. That's how his life is kind of established right now is through deceit, and God is going to spend the next 20 years, or we're going to see four chapters of working in Jacob's life just to get him to admit the truth about who he is. 
So at the end of these 20 years, we're going to see Jacob is going to come to a point where he repents. Repentance comes after you meet the Lord. The Lord's goodness and kindness in your life will lead you towards repentance. Repentance is just saying the same thing about. That's the word, what the word repentance means, to say the same thing about. It means you're going to agree with God about what's right and wrong and what his word says and who you are. Jacob, at the end of this time, when we finally get to the end, he's going to say, I am Jacob. Really? That's the end. That's all God is trying to get him over all this time to do is say, I'm a deceiver. I've been trying to manipulate to gain God's blessings. And at the end of that, we're going to see a beautiful time of God actually just transforming Jacob. This is going to be so cool. I didn't, none of that was in my notes. All for free. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> so Jacob sees this ladder last week, and we find that Jesus explains in John chapter 1 that that he is that ladder. That ladder actually is Jesus. He is the access to God. That was the lesson that we learned last week. So Jacob, he calls the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God, instead of Luz, which was its previous name. And Luz means separation. It's interesting. So now instead of being separated, he feels like he's kind of in God's house, in God's family, kind of united with him. So that's where we get now to chapter 29, verse 1, where it says, So Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east. In the New Living Translation, it's better, actually, in this version. And it says, Then Jacob hurried on, and he finally arriving in the land of the east. The Hebrew, the reason why it's better is because in Hebrew, the word is literally had happy feet. He just was like, oh my gosh, I know God now. I'm so happy. And that's how he went on. It's, it's pretty, it's, he's got a spring in his step. He, it, there's something different. His character is still totally flawed. He's still totally a liar and a deceiver, but his heart is changing. His countenance is just lifted up after meeting the Lord. Even though he's saved, though, Jacob is not yet subdued. Even though he's saved, he's not yet subdued. He's not surrendered. He's still living in his flesh. He's still living according to the flesh. His own efforts is what he's going to draw upon, as we see. But he's met the Lord, so something's changing in his heart. God is going to deal with this again over these next four chapters. He's going to teach Jacob how to surrender. And here's my only exhortation to you guys right now. Don't let it be four chapters before you surrender. How many chapters is it going to be in your life from the moment you believe in Jesus to the moment you fully surrender control of your life to Jesus? How about let's not let it be four chapters, 20 years. Let's let it be today. Say, I'm done with all all of me, and I'm only Jesus is who I'm going to live for. Well, verse 2 says, And he looked, and he saw a well in the field, and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. And a large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth and water the sheep and put the stone back in place of the well's mouth. It's kind of like ancient refrigerator door. All right. <clears throat> so Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. So right now, Jacob has made it the 470 miles and I actually have a map here. Do we have a map this time, Jacob? I say Jacob so much in the study, you didn't realize I was talking to you, Jacob. So here, here we go. So we got this map here. So they are start, he started from down here in Beersheba all the way down at the corner, and he's going up to Haran, which is way at the tippy-top corner up there. 
So that's where, that's where he's been going, made it about 470 miles. So verse 5, then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, yeah, we know him. And you're going to know him too in just a moment, Jacob. Uh, that Laban is a very interesting character. As we're going to see, he's a picture of the flesh. He's a very carnal guy. He really cares about money. We're going to get to that in a minute. Verse 6, so he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. <coughs> so he's at a well asking if Jacob is well. It's a deep joke. I just waited and, and then it came. <laughs> ah, I get it. <laughs> Jacob sees this beautiful woman coming. He sees Rachel coming and he starts to develop a plan because that's what Jacob does. He doesn't have the muscles and he doesn't have the good looks that his brother Esau has. <laughs> Esau's already got like four wives by this point. And uh, Jacob doesn't got that. And so Jacob has to develop a scheme or a plan to catch the woman. I know Nathan told me that he had to have a scheme to catch his wife, but that's another story. <laughs> but it worked, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes these schemes work. Well, verse 7, they said, look, it's still high day. It's not time for the cattle <coughs> to, uh, to be gathered together, um, water the sheep and go and feed them. So basically, Jacob is telling these shepherds, he's saying, hey guys, um, why don't you go water your sheep? Go take care of your stuff. What do you think he's trying to do? Yeah, he's trying to get rid of them. He doesn't want any competition. He knows how to, he's got to eliminate the competition, right? Every other guy is not okay. He, he wants the guys out of there so he could be alone with this beautiful woman. So verse 8 comes, but they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone away from the well's mouth. Uh, then we watch the sheep because they're probably waiting for her too. You know, they're probably like, hey, this is a single chick. We, we're just gnarly shepherds too. So we're, we're waiting there. No, Jacob, we're not, we're not listening to you. You just got here. Dibs have been called. And the rules of dibs say we were here first. Verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Well, Jacob has never done anything like this before. He shows some real manly, you know, superhero strength. He's Mr. Incredible right here. He, he, he single-handedly moves this rock that all these shepherds said, oh, we, don't, we don't do that until we're all together, and then we all move it. So this is Jacob, you know, not Esau. That's something Esau would have done. You know, but Jacob, man, he, he must have been doing push-ups this whole journey. <laughs> I'm going to figure this out. All right, Jacob, I'm kind of proud of you, man. This is the first time Jacob is like showing some manliness. He's, oh, it's been so sad. But then, then verse 11 happens. Then Jacob kissed Rachel oh, hey, as, as romantic music plays and, 
and dun dun dun, dun and, and the camera swoops in and the wind is blowing Rachel's hair and he swoops in and he kisses her and his muscles rippling <laughs> and his, he lifts up his voice and weeps. Jacob, you were doing so good. <laughs> he, oh, you rolled away the stone, you grabbed your cousin and started kissing her. <laughs> and now he just starts blabbering, blubbering, weeping. Oh, it was so awesome. Well, on Davis Island in Florida recently, <clears throat> there was this dog that was swimming out in the ocean and he drowned. Uh, but the family rushed in to retrieve their golden retriever. And the, da- the dad started doing mouth to mouth on the dog. So soon the dog came back to life, started kicking and licking everybody. And the family was so, they started shouting with tears, thank you all, praise Jesus, and thank all of you. Because it was this whole, it's all on tape, you could look it up. Um, but the, the dad started crying when he kissed his dog. That was the point why I read that. And I don't know why Jacob starts crying here. He's kissing his beautiful lady. What a tender guy. I don't know. Well, now we get to verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father, this crazy guy kissed me and then he's my cousin. Wow. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob's sister's son that he ran out to meet him and embraced and kissed him. (laughs) Returning the favor, right? And he brought him to his house. So Laban was told, so he told Laban all these things. So why is Laban running out to meet Jacob? Well, if you remember back a couple chapters, Laban was there when Abraham's servant got Rebekah way a long time before for, to be the bride of Isaac. And that was a great picture of the Holy Spirit getting a bride for Jesus. It was, it was a really neat picture. But remember that the, the Holy Spirit in that picture, the servant, gave gifts to Rebecca, and they were very costly gold earrings and nose rings and jewelry and stuff like that. Laban, it said, took interest in that way many years ago. Why? Because Laban loves money. Laban's a trickster too. In fact, Jacob has met his match. And Laban here, he sees, oh, you're from, oh, Abraham's family. Wow. All right. Well, come and let's talk. I remember you guys are totally rich. It's awesome. Um, look, verse 14. So Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? So he says, name your price. But this isn't actually Laban being just kind. He's saying, um, if you're going to stay here, you're going to work. So he's already starting to, to get this going. Verse 16, so Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. We've already met Rachel. Verse 17, now Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. So in the Hebrew, this is a very interesting phrase when it says Leah's eyes were delicate. It actually means eyes, Leah, hurt. That's how it's put in the Hebrew. Which means Leah was so ugly that she hurt your eyes. Ooh. 
you just look at it and you're like, oh. I didn't mean for you to specifically be the, the example of Leah's ugliness, but I'm, you've been gone for two weeks, so if the shoe fits. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it does. And I appreciate the translator's gentleness and their heart behind it. And they, I appreciate that. But the truth is that Leah is super ugly. All right. But the, verse, the point of the verse is that Rachel was hot. And, and Jacob has no doubt who he is attracted to. It's no, no question. So verse 18. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your daughter. This is Jacob's idea. To give him, a, like he doesn't want Laban to have a chance to say no. So he gives this astronomical dowry figure. He's got to pay to marry her. You don't just marry girls. You had to pay a dowry. And that's what he's doing here. He's like, I'm going to pay you seven years of work for this girl because she is worth it to me. So verse 19, Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days for him because of the love that he had for her. And all the ladies go, oh. Oh, such a sweet story. He served seven years. This is, this is turning out to be a really romantic, wonderful story, right? Well, just wait. But... <clears throat> What we see here is he served seven years for her, and it seemed like only a few days. Why? Because love is patient. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says love is patient. Lust is impatient. Love is patient. Lust is impatient. Love gives. Has no problem giving. Lust takes. Love serves. Lust wants to be served. I just have to have you tonight. Girls, have you heard that? Maybe you've given in to it. I don't know. I just have to have you tonight. We just love each other so much. We have to have sex before we get married. It's, it's got to happen. Biblically, Just I want there to be total truth and honesty right here. That is not Love And girls, if that ever happens to you, ladies, I don't care how old you are, you say no. That is selfish and sinful, and you just want to satisfy your animal desires with me. And I will not let that happen. That's what you're going to say, girls. You got it? But this world says you got to test drive it, right? It works with cars. Why not girls? No. No. The Bible says, don't worry about it. The parts all work. They fit. Don't get tricked. We cannot let this world tell us what to think, what's right and wrong when it comes to marriage and relationships. We can't do that. But how do I get this patience when I'm struggling with it? I mean, it, I'm, there's no doubt it's a struggle. When two people are married, they're in love, not married, when they're dating and they're in love, it's a struggle. And so how do we obtain this patience? How can we do that? Well, James 4, verses 7 and 8 give us a, a great answer. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
That, that means confess your sin and your need for God in humility. And then it continues. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I love James and his honesty. Drawing near to God is, in true humble relationship is how we purify our hearts. It's how we have the character to be able to, to date with purity, with that power. It's drawing near to God. It can't happen together. It has to be alone. You and God, you drawing near to God by yourself. We can never draw lines and, and think that legalism somehow purifies your heart. Say, well, we're, we've only, we only hold hands. That's what we do. That's a line and it's legalism and it didn't fix your heart. Because I'm sure there's a part of your heart in there somewhere that still desires it. And that's what God is concerned about. And he would be much happier with you saying, I'm not going to draw a line and I might fall, or I might make a mistake, but I'm going to keep drawing near to the Lord and allow him to change my heart. How? By drawing near to him, cleansing my mind, because my, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner and I freely confess that. Lines and laws and regulations do not change sinners. They don't change our sinful hearts. But falling in love with Jesus does. Jesus being alive and living in our hearts does change us. So God has developed in Jacob, just on this 470-mile walk, some fruits of the Spirit. He's developed in him some love and some patience. And that patience might have been tested over those seven years, but for the most part, God's Spirit is alive in Jacob. He's, he's learning some stuff, all right? So if you've fallen in this way, because I know maybe you're thinking, wow, I've I've messed up in this area of my life. I've been impatient. Uh, maybe you're thinking my whole marriage is now built upon sin. My whole relationship is, is messed up and I need to just throw it out. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, remember that Jesus, he forgives sin. He washes it clean. He makes all things new. And I'm not standing up here saying your marriage is going to fail now because you messed up, or your relationship, you need to break up now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you got to have Jesus cleanse it. It has to be Jesus and you don't need to go have a talk. And you need to interact with his blood and, and take it, receive it for yourself to, to bring that cleansing. Just accept his forgiveness and, and let him teach us how to live in love and truth. You know, that's what uh, 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us. So back in Genesis chapter 29, verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. He is bold with his father-in-law. Wow, he's been waiting seven years and he is done waiting. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the evening that he took his daughter Le uh, Leah, he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. <clears throat> and so he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not Rachel that I served you? For Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? So set the stage. It's an evening wedding. The sun has gone down. They just have some fires. It's all romantic. They're doing, opa. 
and <clears throat> they're dancing, singing. They have veils, you know. They're dancing. The veils they cover their faces. The brides did, and and um, so they get man and wife. They go in the dark. Okay, we all understand. In the morning, the sunbeams of light shine in through the curtains. Jacob, ha! Oh, what a great night. Turns over. Ow! Oh! Ow! Oh! No! Oh! That's not okay. That is not okay in any little... <laughs> That's just bad. And so he says, Laban, Laban, this is not okay. <laughs> what you have done to me is like very deceitful. Very deceitful. And Laban said, oh, really? Well, it must not be done in our, so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And we got to think about what's going on in Jacob's mind right now. Because what just happened is God just took a baseball bat across Jacob's face. And <laughs> wow, what was Jacob's issue back with his family? He deceived the firstborn. Man, it just rung a bell in Jacob's heart. It just rocks his world. God knows exactly what he's doing. God put, you know, Jacob couldn't say a word. God knows how to shut you up. Mm. He knows how to cut to the heart, doesn't he? He knows how to convict of sin. He knows. Uh, maybe sometimes I might see one of you at the grocery store sinning. I don't know. I'm making up a story right now. I, if I have seen you at grocery store sinning, I'm not talking about you. <clears throat> but I might, maybe I see this. Well, I got a great story, actually. So Jarrett and Carolyn last night were or, yeah, Friday night, they were at, at Refresh at the conference over at Calvary Roar. And they were sitting up here, and I wasn't planning on going, but I just showed up and, and uh, sitting in the back seat, and I saw them. I'm like, hmm, all right. So the worship is playing, and they were sitting down. <laughs> and so I sent Jared a text, and I'm like, stand up, bro. <laughs> and they like, he looks at his, his iPhone, iWatch, whatever. I, whatever. And, and he sees it, and then I see them go like this. And they turn around and look at me. It was, it was so funny. That was exactly what happened on Friday night. Uh, <clears throat> my whole point is that uh, God doesn't... Um, I might not try to convict you guys. I might not try to confront you if I see you sinning. Uh, why? Because God does a really good job of it himself. And if I believe that you're walking with the Lord, you know, I have a responsibility to come alongside if I see you like living in sin. But if I see something that, I don't know, the Spirit just tells me, I got this, I'll, let, I'll, I'll just be like, hey, man, I'm praying for you. Hope you have a good day. Because I know that the, Spurgeon called him the hound of heaven. He'll, he'll get you wherever you're at. And like Jacob here has walked 470 miles to probably kind of get away from stuff. And God's like, uh-uh, you're not going to get away with who you are. This is who you are, Jacob. You're a liar. You're a deceiver. And you tend to do it as around firstborn. That, that's a 
testy issue with you. So God, man, he knows how to take care of this. So verse 27, Laban says, Fulfill her week, and I will give you this one also for the service which you served me still another seven years. <coughs> so, Jacob, so Laban says, Hey, I got a deal for you. Two for one. <laughs> you let Leah have one week, and then after that week, I'll give you Rachel to be wife to you, but you owe me seven more years of work. Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to Rachel, to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. So our question is, is polygamy okay? Is the Bible telling us polygamy is okay? No. No. <laughs> Any more questions? Not okay. 1 Corinthians 7.2 says, Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. One. One. And in Genesis 3, God told man he should take a wife and the two should become one. Not three, not four. One. But, you know, we... Back in this day, they were like mass marriers. You know how you have mass murderers? And you have serial murderers? Well, a mass murderer kills them all at once. And a serial, murder, serial killer kills them all in one, one... We're just serial marriers in America, in our culture today. We're not mass marriers. We're just, we kill them one by one. Verse 31. So the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. So the world, even today, you'll find stuff in the world that says affairs are good for a marriage. you'll, You'll hear that message out there sometimes. Not most sane people, but there is these messages out there in the world that say, hey, affairs are not bad. They could even strengthen a marriage. Well, here's the problem. The Bible says that you can only serve one master. You can't have two masters. John, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, this funny guy from the 1900s. Uh, I forget his name. Anyway, he said, uh, "Is polygamy okay? why is polygamy wrong? And he says, well, there's a verse in the Bible that says you can't serve two masters, right? That's a funny, funny verse. Anyway, they, it, you will love one and hate the other, Jesus says. And that's played out right here for us. The heart, the human heart is built in such a way that you can't love two things at the same time. This is why there cannot be real deep relationships with people of the opposite sex when you're married. You just can't do that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you pour your treasures into other people, your spouse is going to become despised in your eyes. And this happens all the time. And you see it happen with men and women. You know, a guy, he's at work and there's this girl who's giving him some attention. Hey, you're so good at making loans. You're just awesome. You're so good at what you do. Oh, I just, if only my husband was like that. <clears throat> and these girls, they, they, they give you attention. And as a husband, you're like, oh, I guess I never hear that at home. And in their heart, they start to give a little bit of their heart to that person. And they, they, no one ever goes into an affair saying, I was planning on having an affair, so I just found you. They always say, 
I didn't mean for any of this to happen. And they don't understand that where, where they invest their treasure. So they start, this husband starts giving a little bit more of his time and a little bit more of attention and just, oh man, I am having a rough day. Oh, that feels good, that massage. Oh yeah, thanks. Oh, I like when you tell me how great I am. It's really nice. And they let this just grow and it develops in them their heart. They start to despise their spouse. And if there's ever marriage counseling that comes in, like one of the first things I ask is, is there anybody else that you've been spending time with? Talking about your problems with. Because that's how it starts. Is Oh, my marriage is rough at home. My wife doesn't listen to me like you do. Wow. That's even sharing Bible things with someone of the opposite sex is not always safe. Um, that's why when we, when we talk about ministry, when I'm training leaders, I talk with them about how men minister to men and women minister to women. Now, it doesn't mean when a woman comes in, I go, oh, away from me, unclean. <laughs> Get away from me with your problems. No, but as a, matter, as a, as a general rule and principle, if a woman has an issue that she needs continual counseling with, we're going to pair her up with an older woman who can help her through that and point her to Jesus. And a man? Yeah, same thing. So, true love is giving one person your full attention, your undivided attention. Only Jesus can love perfectly. And even with him, though, there were only 12 men. There was a company of women that went with Jesus, but he gave his full attention to those 12 men. It's interesting how he demonstrates that for us. He didn't disown the women. He didn't make them follow 50 paces behind. But he said, you know, I'm going to give my attention to these guys. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, we see this rule that women aren't supposed to talk in church, right? And that doesn't mean actual talk, or, but it's talking about asking questions and what he didn't want, what Paul didn't want, is for a wife to always be coming to the pastor to ask a question. He says, I want you to go home and ask your husband. And the wife is like, but my husband's an idiot. And Paul's like, I know. Don't worry about it. Because when you ask him the question, he'll be like, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm going to go ask the pastor. So the husband comes, talks to the pastor, says, hey, I didn't, my wife asked me this question. I don't know what's going on. And the pastor's like, well, here, you need to do that. Gives him the answer. And the husband comes back and he's like, hey, I found out the answer. I learned something and now I can teach you. And all of a sudden you have a very well-functioning marriage relationship. The woman's happy with her husband because he was humble enough to go ask for help. And the husband feels great because his wife now thinks that he is worth talking to, worth going to with a question. And it's good. I'm not saying don't ever call me women but don't call me that much. There you go. John Corson says, nibble on the forbidden fruit and you will get into all kinds of jams. <laughs> Verse 32, so Leah conceived and bore a son and she called her name, his name Reuben for she said, the Lord surely looked on my affliction. Therefore, my husband will love me. Oh, poor Leah. She has a son. A baby's going to bring us together. Women, that does not work. Be careful what you put your hope in. <clears throat> Many times children have the opposite effect on marriages. 
Verse 33, so then she conceived again and she bore a son because the Lord has heard that I'm unloved. He has therefore given me this son also. So she called his name Simeon, which means the Lord has heard. Verse 34, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him these three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Third time's a charm? Nope, Leah. Verse 35, so she conceived again and bore a son and said, well, now I'm just going to praise the Lord. For she called his name Judah, so she stopped bearing. So she said, you know what? My husband's impossible. I'm just going to start praising the Lord. Good, good job, Leah. Verse 1 of chapter 30 now, when Rachel saw that, Re- that uh, she bore no- Jacob no children, Rachel en- envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Very dramatic. It's funny because Rachel's the one that had all the dates growing up. But she realizes now that it's her turn to feel the pain. You know, she realizes now that that didn't satisfy her. <coughs> Sneak peek. Give me children or else I'll die. She's going to die in childbirth. Yeah, that's what happens when you put your hope in things in this world. Verse 2, And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So Jacob's like, Am I God? You think I can solve this problem? Hey, I'm not the problem here. I have four kids with your ugly older sister. I'm doing just fine. Why are you looking to me to meet a need that I can't meet? Girls, pay attention to that. Ladies, your husband can't meet your needs. He can be wonderful, but he's still not going to meet every one of your needs. You need to look to the Lord. Uh, She says, give me children or else I'll die. This statement reveals where she's getting her identity. And I know people that want children so bad, but they're still serving the Lord. It's not their identity. And they may weep and cry over it, but they're not saying, Lord, I I don't want to live. I'm done with you, life, everything, unless you give me kids. And that's where you find your identity, and that's the problem there. Verse 3, she said, Here is my maid, Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I may also have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Really, bro? You'll just sleep with anyone? All right. Verse 5. So Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, which means, so she's catching up. She's got no problem admitting she's doing all this competing with her sister. Verse 9, And when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop comes, or reinforcements are here. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, which means happy. Gad <laughs> later had a, took a last name, Zooks. Oh. Oh, 
And Jacob, he's just like, all right, who's next? Gosh. He's taking this manliness thing, like, really seriously. <laughs> so now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. And he brought them to his mother, Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Mandrakes are called love apples. They were thought to be like an aphrodisiac thing. So verse 15, but she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Will you now take my son's mandrakes also? This is days of our lives happening right here. And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Wow. <laughs> Here, you sleep with him tonight if I can have your love apples. All right. They were very valued in that culture, though. They really were serious. Everyone thought if you had mandrakes, boom, you were having kids. It was a big deal. So verse 16, when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night also. Now, Jacob must be getting pretty tired by this point in the story. He's just like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Well, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. It never works. See, Rachel, she's tried to manipulate things. She tried to get the love apples. And it never works out when you try in your own efforts to accomplish, to get the blessings, you know? It's almost like God is saying, how about them apples? <laughs> and Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. I don't even understand that reasoning. <laughs> so she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has surely endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I've borne him six sons. She called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. She worked on a railroad. <laughs> what? So here's the real question, guys. Why is Leah having so many children if her husband doesn't love her? Women, you need to understand something about men. Men use love to get sex. Women use sex to get love. And we see that played out right here. Teach your girls to trust in the Lord and wait. Teach them that they can't use sex to get the love that they so deeply desire. You know, so God remembered Rachel now and listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and God and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph. And then she said, the Lord is going to add to me another son. So look at this. God finally answers Rachel's prayer. I mean, Leah's had all these kids. She's given her handmaid. Leah's given her all these kids. Ten kids have been born. Finally, number 11 comes, and Rachel has been begging for this and asking for this. God finally answers her prayer. She gets a kid, and she isn't even satisfied. She says, I'm going to have another kid. The Lord's going to give me another kid after this. 
the Lord shall add to me another son. And it's so sad. If you're not satisfied where you're at, you will never be satisfied when you finally get what you want so bad. If you're single and you're not satisfied being single, you're not going to be satisfied when you're married. If you're in an apartment and you're not satisfied in that apartment, you're not going to be satisfied when you get a house. If you ride a bike to work or ride the bus and you're not satisfied with the Lord, you're going to be unhappy when you finally get a car. It works for anything. If we're not satisfied where we're at, the next thing, it just leaves us totally empty. So verse 25, it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away. Oh my gosh, bro, I need a vacation. I got 11 kids now and nobody's happy that I may go to my own place in my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service, which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay. If I found favor in your eyes for, for listen, I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Laban is an idol worshiping pagan. But he understands that God, Jacob's God, Yahweh, has blessed him because of Jacob. The language here actually applies that he went to a diviner to seek false gods, and that's how he found all this out. For, for Jacob, God is with him. God is blessing him because God loves him. And Jacob is a witness, even in all of his failures, even in all of this. God is with him. Is God with you? Yes. People see it. Even if you don't see it right now, even if you look at your life and you're like, I need a vacation, like Jacob felt. I am not, nothing is going right right now. I got four wives and 11 kids, and I have made a mess of everything. But if you have that relationship with the Lord that's real, God is working in your life, and you're still a witness to the people out there in this world. It's amazing. Then he said, name me your wages, and I'll give it. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock have been with me. For you, uh, for what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, since, uh, now when, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flocks today, removing from them all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and all the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes up before you that everyone is, that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it would be according to your word. So Jacob, he is actually trusting in the Lord a bit right here. It's pretty neat to see. He has no crazy scheme in mind. He's just putting himself in a place for God to show himself strong on his behalf. He's, he's basically stacking the deck against himself. See, it was a genetic variant 
that would make spotted or speckled sheep. It wasn't the dominant trait. And so Jacob's saying, hey, just give me the ones that are the, the spotted and speckled ones, okay? Um, and and it's, it reminds us of the verse in 2 Chronicles, verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 9, where it says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking or to show himself strong on behalf of those who is loyal to him, who will trust him. That's what's going on here. Is, is Jacob is finally in a place where he's like, you know what? I'm just going to trust the Lord in this. I'll stay if you really want me to stay and I see that God is in this. And we'll kind of test the Lord. We'll kind of see if the Lord will come through for me. So I'm going to stack the decks, deck against me for you, Laban. God is looking for people who are just going to have faith, who are just going to trust him in his word. People who will read the word and believe what it says. That's what the Lord's looking for. Because God promises to show himself to be strong in that person's life. Not to show that you're strong. No, when we read the word, we see how weak we are, how unable we are, how dependent we are. And the Lord says, I know that. I'm revealing that to you so that you can trust me instead of you. And I love to be trusted because I always come through when someone trusts me. Always. To show us weak but himself strong. Now, if you don't want to sign up for that, if you don't want to be weak, don't come back. Stop coming to church. Stop coming to the Lord. Seriously. Because the Lord only wants the humble. And he'll work in the lives of the humble, but the prideful he hates. So just stop now. And maybe you'll come to a point in your life where you'll finally give up. You'll finally say, I'm done trying to be the best. And I'm ready to be broken before God and say, God, help me. I need you so much. And God says, bingo, I'm in. I'm there for you. So he removed that day. So Laban, he's the master trickster. He's going to teach Jacob a lesson here. But it's okay. Because God is on Jacob's side. And here's the thing is that the world wants to deceive you. The world wants to get your stuff. The world wants to take it from you. And it's okay. Because if God wants to bless you, you think the world's going to get in his way? No. It doesn't matter what they do. And Jacob, he's, he's, gonna, he's learned that right now. It's exciting. It's neat to see. So he removed that day all the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and everyone that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave him to the hands of his sons, and he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So Jacob said, today I'm going to take all these, and Laban's like, nope, I'm taking them all away, sneaking them out of here. So when Jacob shows up to work that day, there's no speckled and spotted. And Jacob's like, huh, all right. And see, worldly Jacob would have said, ha I got a plan, I got to, but Godly Jacob says, all right, I'll watch your sheep. And we'll see what God does. And look what happens. Now Jacob took for himself some rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees and peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. <clears throat> and the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs while the flocks came to drink, so that when they should conceive, they would come to drink, when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the f uh, flocks brought forth streaked and speckled and spotted. 
Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face towards the streaked and all the brown in the, uh, in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they may conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not place them. So when the feebler were Laban's and the, and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, male and fe female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. We're going to find out some more about this next week, all right? But basically... God has shown Jacob in a dream to do this, is what we find out in the next chapter. This isn't just Jacob coming up with a scheme. This is Jacob living by faith. And see, I was tempted when I first read through this to think, oh, Jacob has this crazy scheme having to do with... And then I was like, that's so dumb. These are sticks. They're not deciding this is something that God just told Jacob to do in faith. And Jacob's like, God, this is kind of weird. And God's like, hey, do you trust me? Just do it. And so it became this point of contact, this faith thing that Jacob could do, almost like communion is for us. See, communion for us is like these, this thing that doesn't make sense. It's a piece of bread and some grape juice. Welch's, if you want to know. It shouldn't matter. But when we come to communion in faith, believing that the word of God has told us to come, it's transformed into reality in our life. God's work is done through communion in our hearts. Isn't that crazy? I'm not saying it becomes Jesus. I'm saying that his work becomes real in our hearts. So good. It's just amazing. When you listen to the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, things work out. So the most important voice you'll ever hear is the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart, asking you to open up to him. So take some time this week and seek the Lord. Seek, the quiet, you know, seek to quiet the noise of this world and open the word of God and seek him diligently. And he'll reward you. He truly will. And the things that seem impossible will become reality in your life, the things of God, when you take these little steps of faith. I'm going to read the word of God in faith. I'm going to take communion in faith. I'm going to love my wife in faith. I'm going to love my husband in faith. Not because they deserve it, not because it's magic, but because God is real. And he sees me. And he sees my heart actually loves him. And trust him. And so I'm going to do whatever I do in faith. Father, we thank you so much for a word that we can believe in and, and something like these rods that we can have here in this place today of communion, Lord. And I thank you so much that when you speak, we have an opportunity to respond. And so, Lord, as we uh, take a moment now and, and search our hearts and, and see if there's any sin or wickedness that we need to... Uh, ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we do that. Jesus, say, I receive your forgiveness for my sin by faith. And I know that it's mine. I know that the garments I wear in spiritual places are washed white as snow. 
from the stains that I committed. God, I love it. I, I love you. I pray that you continue to work in our lives, in our church, Father. Use us, Father. We want to be used. We want boldness to speak your words of life to the dying world around us. Thank you, Lord, for your words so much. And I pray that this time of communion would be so powerful in our hearts as we take it by faith, believing that you are the power that, that lives in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.